Good morning, everyone. My friend Annie is a sculptor. She has shown her work nationally, and it regularly appears in art journals like Art in America. In a studio on top of the mountain called Elfin Forest, I love that name, in Southern California, which overlooks the ocean, Annie's large and commanding works are made from cables, nails, glass, pigments, and thick ropes of steel. Each piece comprised of hundreds of strands out of which she teases spectacular, graceful, fluid structures reminiscent of the natural world. Some of her larger pieces, some of them that have 200, 300 large nails in them, are her most weightless and ethereal looking. The length of time that it takes her to build a sculpture is extravagant. She ties knots and twists and coils and wraps and separates and joins in the same way that happens in a living organism. She works alone, perched on a tall ladder for hours at a time in complete silence, describing that experience as, quote, being in wordless space without preconceptions. She calls her process building slow forms that have been generated by the accumulation of countless small acts. She says that they begin simply as random uh, lines or thoughts, and then connections are made. And through them, relationships evolve, and patterns emerge. Each act of connection, she says, is crucial, serving as a medium where the past and the future are joined. However numerous or small, she views each act as entirely unique. Every element distinct, yet essential to the whole. Annie's work could hang from these rafters, a celebration of life in keeping with our philosophy, the aesthetic and the ethical nested in one another. We have a reputation in ethical culture for being an intellectual movement with platforms and classes and conversations that are more thoughtful than emotional, more rational than spiritual. I don't believe that that is wholly true of us, but it is true that the primary artistic element we trade in is words. We, in particular, seem to love words. We center our platform around words. They mean things to us. They remind us. They connect us. We often feel passionate about both words and the way that words are used. I'm guessing, in fact, that we use more than our share of words on Sunday mornings, in emails and in conversations and in our astonishingly verbose and frequent task force reports. If, as I once imagined as a child, if there were only a certain number of words allotted to every person, many of us would be reduced 
to a dribble by now. And now, what if we did run out of words? What then? Would we find other ways of expressing our philosophy and message through gestures or dance or music or art? When I was an art major in undergraduate school, I had the privilege of working alongside a wonderful artist who patiently and diplomatically helped me find my artistic voice. He was brilliant in his craft. He was also homeless by choice. He liked to call himself a wanderer. Sometimes when he would come into the studio, he smelled awful and would become loud and abrasive to the professors when they tried to help him get cleaned up. But they respected the genius that he was and paid his tuition so that he could keep working. We discovered, Chester, that's his name, Annie and I, that we worked well together. We also discovered, and who knows how, that we all loved to sing old hymns. And so often in the studio, late at night, you could find us singing old hymns together as we worked. The students in the department learned to just step over him when he'd pass out in the hall from drinking or drugs, but would then stand back in awe when he would once again take up his chisel and go to work, drawing out of that block of marble something so powerful and so profound, so expressive of the wholeness for which he strove. When you look at a sculpture or a painting or read a poem or you see a dance or hold a ceramic bowl or listen as we are this morning to some exquisite piece of music, sometimes you just can't help but wondering how that thing, that work, that presence in the world came to be. What manner of sorrow or joy or clarity or insanity could imagine such a thing where nothing remotely like it was before and then create it? What was Mendelssohn thinking, feeling, doing, eating, drinking that he could find within himself the music we just heard a moment ago? What deep place must Joshua Rich, who played here last week, touch when he's composing his work and playing it for us. Reiner Maria Rilke wrote that every line of every poem is made of memories turned to blood within the poet. And every drop of living is compressed and made available. Everything survived and seen and heard becomes the raw material, the quarry from which the work subconsciously or consciously is mined. The question for all of us is, do we have the courage or the will it takes to use that stuff inside of us? To let that shimmery, truth-telling substance out. I remember in Harry Potter, and I think it was Dumbledore was his name. I haven't read him in many long years, but he had a wand that he would pull something shimmery out of his hat. And that's sort of how I picture this truth-telling substance that lives within all of us. The role of the artist is, did I get that right, by the way, Harry Potter people? I, I thought I remembered that. <laughs> Those were his memories out of his head. That's right. 
It's a wonderful image. <laughs> the role of the artist is similar to the role of the ethical culturist. To transcend the conventional wisdom, transcend the world of the establishment, to transcend the orthodoxy that is all around us. When Dr. Felix Adler, the founder of ethical culture, set about to create a new religion, he wanted to transcend the conventional wisdom of the day, the trends in the broader culture that he thought were undermining our humanity, the skepticism, the materialism, and the fundamentalism that was everywhere around him. And to find out what we need to truly bring us outside of our own individual selves and connect us in a profound way to other people, to the larger universe, and to what is most sacred in life. The Ethical Society began as an attempt to bring people together to answer the question, what consecrating influence shall we bring into our lives? and particularly in the lives of our children. What does it take to realize worth and dignity? What will we do to make life sacred? Those were the questions he asked. Victoria Safford tells of a kind of transcendence in the new work of Fernando Botero, the sculptor and painter from Colombia. Are you familiar with him? He's the one who normally paints those sort of whimsical, inflated, and pudgy people in an imaginary small-town world based on his childhood memories. But in 2006, of all people, said the critics, Botero produced 50 drawings and paintings depicting the torture of Iraqi prisoners at Abu Ghraib and Guantanamo Bay one of only a small number of artists to do so. It took a while before the United States, any gallery in the United States would show his work because they received so many death threats. His paintings are hor horrifically graphic in their detail, in their detail of the naked, bloody, twisted bodies, the degradation and humiliation, but they elicit something else in us as well. The figures are still fleshy and pudgy and puffy, which actually makes them seem more vulnerable. But there is also a sunlight coming from them too, an illumination of truth and compassion, of human grief and human dignity. Many of us get out of the habit of seeing in her book, Bird by Bird, by Anne Lamott, she writes, try walking around in a neighborhood with a child who's going, wow, wow, look at that teeny little baby. Look at that scary, dark cloud. I think this is how we're supposed to be in the world, she said, present and in awe. Many of us know what it is like to look out on the world and not see it. For some of it, it's an experience that we have every day. How many times have I driven to Wes on automatic pilot and then wondered how I even got here? Wondered how that happened. I didn't remember it. Our minds are filled with what we'll do when we get there or consumed by the 
latest news that we're listening to on NPR. Our eyes are looking, our brains presumably are working well enough to keep us from hitting someone, but we're not really seeing anything of that familiar terrain we've just gone past. We think in some ways that we already know everything that is there. The French painter Marc Chagall is said to have written somewhere, the dignity of the artist lies in his duty of keeping awake the sense of wonder. And in this long vigil, he is also himself striving against a continual tendency to fall asleep. I think that the whole point for the artist making art or the person in relation to a child or a partner or a friend or even to a community is to try to make something durable, beautiful, original in that partnership, in that relation. Something honest out of the blank canvas of relationship to stay awake, alert, available, breathing, aware of the spirit of the rhythm of life. I'm wondering how many of you at one point in your life painted or drew or composed songs or danced in the moonlight with wild abandon. The writer James Baldwin said, some people wish to colonize the moon and others dance before it as before an ancient friend. I did, and then maybe out of laziness or busyness or life just coming into play, I did at some point fall asleep on my artistry. How many of you still live with that openness of heart, that courage that allows you complete freedom to give creative expression to whatever you're feeling or searing or hearing or sensing, and to throw away those scripts, those to-do lists that order our days? Oh, how I need to ask myself these questions. How often do we each help others so that they, too, do not keep themselves from, as Annie Dillard said, a betting creation so that it need not play to an empty house? Though Adler doesn't say a whole lot about the impulse to create, and believe me, I looked everywhere to find it, he did suggest at one point, the creation of a scholarship fund at the Art Student League in New York. An homage, he said, to the sacred cause of art. These are his words. He said, the true artist possesses that sublime power of which the ancient alchemists dreamed in vain, the power of converting the baser elements into gold. It was, he said, within the province of the artist to pour the sunlight of the ideal into every object which he touches with the chisel or the brush. I wonder why we don't have more works of creation, more symphonies, more songs, more poems about our movement when our founder had that to say. So what is your art? 
What do you see that no one else can or ever has or will see? What is or will be your own creative mark on the world? If not through the medium of painting or a sonata or a sculpture, perhaps in an idea, a certain set of choices about the way you carry yourself in the world day after day and year after year through this beautiful and broken world. What is your art and how does it come through you? Someone once said that art is in us all and our life's work is to bring it out and splash it on the page or on the canvas and celebrate whatever we might find there. It's hard to know how we can fix all the things that are wrong in this world. But I do believe that if we apply our imagination at the service of justice and compassion, we invite all kinds of possibilities, unheard of possibilities, creative, brave, and hopeful. With this platform, I have an agenda. I would like to issue an invitation to you to see the West community as a community where our creative spirits can find a home here this year. Many of you I know are already doing that, but some of you are not. And so I'm inviting you all to commit yourselves to an art project or some of some kind this year. It can be poetry, prose, music, a visual piece in any number of media, a video, a movement that can be shared with the community next spring in an art show and coffee house night that is set up for that purpose. And I have, there are a number of people here who are already working on that idea, mulling it over with me, Nancy McGuire and Robin Majeski and Marty Kaufman and others. So please see us afterward and join us in this project. I will, when the time comes, ask you to write brief artist statements to accompany your work. It's a brave and joyful act I'm asking you to do. And it means setting aside all those fears that we're not talented enough to give form to what's inside our minds and our hearts, or that if we did, others might think that we are foolish or trying something that we, in which we have really nothing to say. And instead, to paint the sunlight that trusts our own vision and voice. Because we are a religion of relationships, we will also engage in some collaborative works of art. And I want you to just imagine all the glitter and glue that can come out of something like that. So please talk with me later about this project. The artist for Langetti wonders how to paint sunlight on the face of life. Paint yourself in true colors, in primary colors as you see them, and then paint others and don't fake it. Conceive of the whole world and all humanity as a kind of art, a kind of art project of the God of light, the whole worth the whole earth and all that's in it, painted with light. And remember that the light is within, 
if it is anywhere, and you must paint from inside. 